Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Good afternoon, and the Most High, in the name of Christ, bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room, where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Today, we're going to discuss marriage. Outside of a person's relationship to the Most High God, their involvement or the lack of involvement with marriage is probably the most important relationship or absence of a relationship that they're going to experience in their entire life. So with that in mind, we thought that this is just a really, really crucial subject matter to discuss. And joining with me at this moment in the virtual living room to discuss this topic, we have Brother Kabar. And shalom, brothers and sisters, all praises to the Most High in Christ. Glad to be with you this early Sunday afternoon. And also joining with me, we have Brother Kazakia. Hey, shalom, brothers. All to the shalom to the brothers on the panel. Shalom to the listeners. All praises to the Heavenly Father in Christ. Definitely appreciative to be back in the virtual living room and definitely looking forward to dealing with this particular subject matter. Okay, before we go any further, I want to mention two things. One, first is that we have uh, the chat room open. So if there's anyone that would prefer to go into the chat room and make a comment or ask a question, that's available for you. And also, um, we, uh, if you would like to participate in the program live uh, on air, you can do so by uh, calling 646-716-7749, and we'd be more than happy to have you in the virtual living room. Uh, the other thing today to, the, to help us with this uh, very, very important subject, we're going to have some subject matter experts on the, that will join us shortly. Um, first thing I, I guess should probably be discussed is what is a marriage? You know, you, you see all these uh, uh, different types of marriages being performed. Some have elaborate ceremonies, uh, and then you have uh, uh, men marrying women, and then you have women marrying women, and men marrying men. And I think there was a man that married his computer or some cartoon or something. You know, so he, the, the question is, you know, exactly what is marriage? You know, Kabar, could you shed some light on that? What exactly is a marriage? Well, in order to understand marriage, you have to understand its origin and creation. Uh, man did not invent marriage. Uh, man didn't come up with marriage or sex or anything like that. Uh, man was created by his creator. Uh, it was God himself that uh, created it, institute, instituted the the uh, union of marriage, and that was made between a man and a woman. And we can go back into um, 
Genesis, we can go to chapter 2. Uh, and we'll start at verse 18. Genesis 2.18 tells you, and this is after the Lord had created, you know, uh, the heavens and the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, and everything else, uh, all the life on earth, and then he created man. Then we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says this. And it says, and the Lord says, said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So God, after God created everything and he made Adam, he said that uh, it is not good that man should be alone, specifically speaking about Adam, and that he was going to make him a help meet, meaning proper, suitable, right for Adam. We can jump down. Uh, then you read about the part. We'll jump down to verse 22. It says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife they shall be one flesh. Now, it, there is a host, uh, a, a myriad of uh, facts and information contained within those scriptures. Number one, we know that Adam was a man and God created a woman, a counterpart, a woman, to that man. Also, that it is God who brought the woman to the man. He didn't go out searching for the woman himself. It wasn't his thought or ambition to seek after a woman. He was going about his business that the Lord gave him, and it was God's idea to provide him with a woman. So God made her and brought the woman to the man. So we know it's between the institution of marriage is dealing between a woman and a man. Also within this, we can see that the institution of marriage is something that is ordained and sanctioned by God and is according to God's will. So not only we as men supposed to be uh, being in marriages with a counterpart such as a woman, not man with man, a woman with man, or anything other than a woman between a man, but also knowing that that institution is something that is supposed to be sanctioned by God, be according to God's will. The man has certain um, uh, guidelines and stipulations that he needs to be in order with, along with the woman, and it's within that those boundaries that the suitable mates are matched together according to the will and the guidance of the Heavenly Father, and they come together and be one in obedience under Christ now and God's commandment, that man and that woman together, being that one flesh under the institution of God and his laws and commandments. That's a marriage. Okay. So now um, what if uh, you, you say it's between a man and a woman? So uh, what about these situations? Uh, you know, you have a couple of states that have legalized homosexual. Uh, marriages, gay marriages, if you will, gay and lesbian marriages. Um, you know, is, is it is it anywhere in the scriptures that you know that's okay, or anywhere in the scriptures that that's prohibited? Yeah, no. You know, uh, look into the scriptures as far as first of all, the explanation that the brother gave as far as what a true marriage is is correct according to the scriptures. So if it is, so if a union or relationship. Uh, does not meet the guidelines of thus saith the Lord in the Bible, then it is not a true and legitimate marriage. 
which is which goes which goes to answer your question that you posed to us as far as uh, what about uh, uh, same sex marriages or what about uh, marriages legalized by, by by certain states in which members of the same sex uh, can marry each other? According to God Almighty, according to the Holy Bible, that is not a marriage. That excuse me, that is fornication or that is uh, a, a homosexuality or lesbian lesbianism, excuse me, which is condemned by God Almighty in the Bible, First Corinthians six and nine, Leviticus the twentieth chapter, Leviticus the eighteenth chapter, unless those parties repent and come back and keep the commandment, and if it be the Lord will, they marry according to how it is outlined in the Bible to marry. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay. So what scripture points to the fact that, uh, you know, those uh, types of marriages are not outlawed. I hear what you're saying, but is there any scripture that actually backs that up? Here we go. Leviticus, the 20th chapter. And uh, I'll read verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This is uh, basically the sin of homosexuality. And even though it says if a man lieth with a man, it does not mean that women are excluded. It's the judgment is the same. If two women are lying together as, as it is supposed to be a man and a woman repenting in Christ lying together, and if that's not the case, then... It is fornication or what we're reading about here specifically, homosexuality or lesbianism. The punishment for those acts is death. I would also like to read Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and verse 4. It says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So the institution of marriage is honorable. It is beautiful. It is respectable because the Heavenly Father esteemed and established it so. But those who go outside or have relationships outside the institution of marriage the way God established it and ordained it, they will be dealt with. They will be judged. That includes whoremongers, men who like to sleep with a whole bunch of women, whores, women who like to sleep with a whole bunch of men, uh, homosexuals, men with men, lesbians, women with women, those are relationships and activities outside the institution of marriage as God Almighty had established it. And then for those who are engaging in acts such as those, they will be judged by the Heavenly Father unless they repent and come back and keep the commandments through uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Brothers, uh, we have a visitor to the virtual living room. And visitor, you are uh, calling us. You have a telephone number four four two four seven. If you would go ahead and give us your name, your comment, a question, please. Visitor, you are at four four two four seven. Hi, hi, brother. Um, this is Milagros. Oh, yeah, hello, Milagros. How are you? Good, good, thanks. Did you have a comment, a question for us? No, no, I don't have any questions. So okay, are you just listening in? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, fantastic. All right. Um, so, um, go ahead, Kabar. Yeah, because, you know, we, we read about Lord set up, but we see a lot of different things in society today, a lot of uh, uh, deviations, perversions, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
blasphemous uh, in, uh, institutions being set up against marriage, uh, blasphemy against the uh, the way the Most High ordered things. A lot of a lot of that going on in society, and we wonder, you know, what's going on? Why why is that the case? But you read in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter seven and verse twenty nine. It's not that the Lord changed anything. It's not that the Lord altered anything. It's that man himself has deviated from the commandments that God had set down. Ecclesiasticus, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29 tells you this. Lo, this only have I found, that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Okay, and those inventions are talking about wicked, evil uh, imaginations that, men, that came into men's mind through the lust of their own flesh, and that they begin to institute and set up. So the Lord, a proper way, yeah, the Lord set things up the proper way, and then man sort of uh, went about to pervert all of those proper institutions, and that's what we see today dealing with marriage. Okay. Brothers, we have a visitor to the virtual living room. Uh, visitor, if you would, go ahead and give us your name and your comment or question, please. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm sorry, what was that again? Hello, sir, how are you? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Um, your name is what I was asking for? Okay. I'm sorry, but we can't hear you well. Uh, so if you could get to a better telephone and give us a ring back, we'd be more than happy to talk to you. Okay, brothers. Um when it comes to marriage, you know, it, it occurs to me that there are different phases or components to it. And one of the most important phases, I, I would think, would probably be just like anything else. You know, you, you don't want to go to war without an adequate plan. So, you know, somehow or another you need to prepare for marriage. Uh, also, uh, you know, there's got to be a, you know, people go about different ways of getting married. Some people go to the courthouse to get married. Other people go through some elaborate ceremony. Uh, and some people just simply, you know, stated they're married, and that's it, you know. Uh, so how do you get married? Uh, and then once you get married, how do you go about maintaining that marriage? And then well, lastly, how does a marriage end? Because, you know, marriages end every single day in some form or fashion. Is, is, is there a, can marriages end? And what does the scripture have to say about marriages, marriages ending? So first of all, the preparation, the preparation for marriage. Uh, Kazakia, could you talk a little bit about, uh, ideally, what things uh, must a person do in order to adequately prepare for marriage? Well, I'll say it this way, as far as preparation for marriage. Um, well, let's look at the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures say it best. And by that, I'm referring to 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, where it says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate? The point that I want to emphasize is examine yourself. Examine yourself. Be honest with yourself. Look within yourself. Ask yourself, am I ready for marriage? Am I ready for that commitment? Am I ready to be that example of Jesus Christ? Am I ready to to execute the commandments and teach the commandments and make sure that my house is being governed by the commandments of God Almighty? Am I ready 
to be that teacher and that leader to my wife and uh, potentially children that come from that marriage. So those are the things, and, and preparation, those are the things that you have to ask yourself of whether you are, or first, first and foremost, if you're a man. If you're a woman, still the same thing applies. Okay. Examine well, yourself. Look within yourself. Also, please, the Asterisk 27 and verse 3, and this is specifically for the men. It says, unless a man holds himself diligently in the fear of the Lord, his house shall soon be overthrown. Now, the reason why that, this scripture comes to mind is because of the fact that as men, being married, that is a grave, that is a sobering, that is a, a, a deep responsibility. But the beginning of that is, unless a man hold himself diligently in the fear of the Lord, meaning a man, he himself has to be keeping the commandments, he himself has to be in the fear of the Lord, he himself has to be bringing forth those fruits of the Spirit, he himself has to be making sure that he's studying in the Scriptures and well-rooted and foundation in Christ. If not, then whenever he does get married, unless he is grounded in that, then the household will not thrive. It won't flourish. Okay. Uh, brothers, at this point, I would like to, our, our special expert guests have arrived. I'd like to go ahead and introduce them to the audience. Uh, we have Kakamagabar uh, and his uh, beautiful wife, Ama. Uh, welcome to the program. Welcome to the virtual living room. Most high Christ bless you. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. All right. Hey. Thanks. Hey, shalom, brothers. Brother and sister, most high Christ bless you. Shalom to all. Hey, most high Christ bless you all. I, I don't know about the expert parts. What about you about it? <laughs> I don't either. Well, well, <laughs> You know, I say that for a reason, you know, because, you know, like we already talked about, marriage is so vital to everyone's life. Whether you marry or not, somehow or another it's vital because I think statistics will prove that children that are raised up in married households fare far better as adults in society than children who are raised in households where there's no mother and father, both mother and father, okay? And, 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 and the, the scenario worsens from that point because at the point where, you know, it's a divorced uh, household, then, you know, it's not as bad as uh, a household where it's a single mother has always been that way or a single father has always been that way. So um, it just gets worse and worse. So it's very important to have uh, apparently – very important to have that institution of marriage in society and have that institution also very, very healthy in society. And the expertise is because you two are married. <laughs> That's what makes you expert in this, this case. You're actually married, and you have some experiences that you can share with us, and there's some other things that's unique about you that i ask you to bring out uh, in a little bit. But first, first off, I'd like to know, how long have you guys been married? You know, I have stats on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. Me and Jimmy were together four years in college. We weren't in the scriptures then. We broke away for 14 years, came back together in the scriptures, I believe, in 96 we came back together. So you're looking at, what, 13 years, 14 years? Oh, that you've been married 14 years? Yeah, 14 years in Christ in the scriptures, yeah. Okay, and uh, next question is, uh, 
Do you guys always get along? <laughs> it's not a trick question. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I... <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, it, 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 in the beginning, like anything else, the scripture the brother was bringing out about examining yourself. I mean, you're gonna have bumps in the road, but ultimately, like she said, the marriage being in Christ. The commander-in-chief of our life always gives us instructions how to smooth those bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, um, Alma, you brought, brought out that you guys were, uh, you know, you, you were together at some point in college, I think it was. Yeah. And then, uh, it, but you weren't in the scriptures at the time. Uh, and then later on, after some period of many years, you guys got back together uh, again. Um, during that period of time, did either one of you or did both of you guys uh, have any other marriage experiences? Um, I was uh, married according to the world uh, back in 86. Okay. Yeah, 86. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm asking these questions for a reason, to just let the audience know about your experiences and why you are an expert to speak on certain things, because obviously if you you, you can compare uh, being married in Christ as compared to being married according to the worldly standards. And and uh, would you agree with me, Kukongabar, that there's a big difference there? Oh, yes, there's a big difference. Okay. All right. And um, so if you would then explain to me what that difference is, you know, between uh, you guys being married in Christ now, and the experiences of the average cu- couple in the United States and their attitudes about marriage and so forth. What comes What comes to mind right off the bat? Hey, Josiah, uh, that last part was a little bit garbled. Could you repeat that again, please? Sure thing. Um, when it comes down to uh, comparing your marriage being one that is in Christ. And comparing your marriage to the average marriage of someone in the United States, right? What comes to, What comes to mind right off the bat as like the biggest, most glaring differences uh, that that you can discern? Well, and I answer is that for Jimmy? Is this for this for the both of you? You go, you go ahead first. Well, you asked that. The first thing I thought about was when me and Jimmy came together the first time, I was living with my dad. He was living with his mom. We were young. We were in college. We were boyfriend and girlfriend, as the world would call it. According to the scriptures, we weren't, but we didn't know anything. We were coming together as kids. Neither one of us had the means of um, holding our relationship together on our own. As the scriptures say, you know, we're supposed to be cleaved together as one, leaving father and mother. We weren't dealing with any of that. We were just two kids just into stuff that we wasn't supposed to be into, and that was that dissolved because when the Satan started coming at us, we didn't know nothing for nothing. We were just kids, you know, and then mm-hmm. it, just, it just faded away. When we came together the second time, um, both of us was aware of what the scriptures spoke of when that man deals with that woman you know, and, and lays with that woman and the responsibility that came with it. So just on us getting back together the second time was like, okay, this is a whole nother program, and that fear of the Lord was that thing that was hovering. Like, okay, I got to deal with you now, you know, according to the scriptures. It's not a matter of 
oh, I'm with you for a minute, but then when it gets tight, I'm out. It was like, okay, now it's a whole nother. And a lot of stuff I didn't even know at the time, but I knew, okay, I can't walk away from this man because this is what the Lord said. So with that question for me, that stood out, you know, very, very um, evident as, you know, comparing differences. Okay, so it sounds like to me that uh, if you were not in the scriptures, then you had uh, compelling reasons uh, to get out of the marriage. I don't. Me and Jimmy didn't even look at ourselves as being married. We were just kids that what the world says we we go together. No, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying the, the second time around, not the first time around, but the second. time Oh yeah, around. the second time definitely. Right. Definitely. So so you had compelling reasons uh, to get out of the marriage, but you wouldn't because. Uh, of what the scripture says, am I understanding it correctly? Well, at the beginning, there was no compelling reason to get out of the marriage, but I knew that when things came, because things happened and challenges happened, that it wasn't a matter of, oh, we're not going to make it. It's like because Christ didn't give us that, that option. You know, we have mm-hmm. to deal with the scriptures now. It was just going to be a new program. You okay. know? And that was, at the, that was at the beginning that I knew that. Okay. Kukunga Bar, what differences do you recognize between uh, your marriage in Christ and the average marriage in the United States? Well, when you deal with the marriages according to the understanding of this world, it's pretty much a uh, crapshoot or Russian roulette, you know? You you pick a mate based on some ridiculous concept that you've been indoctrinated in according to your own mind. It's not based on any kind of wisdom. That's why... The divorce rate is so high because the wisdom of this world does not have any standing according to what the wisdom of the Most High has. So pretty much when you look into the scriptures, if you could, I, I'm uh, I'm still uh, trying to make my way home, but if somebody can grab Mark 10 about when Christ was reproving the scribes and Pharisees about the marriage where he said that uh, in the beginning the Most High said uh, a man should, Cleave uh, to his wife as one flesh. Somebody get that and read it, please. Mark. Yeah, Mark. All right. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I, I see it right here. Okay. Um, and the, it's uh, Mark 10, Sunday, verse 2. And the Pharisees right. came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto you, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What okay, therefore you can, God have... You can just stop right there. Okay. Because uh, most people know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Now this is that's the big difference. That's the big looming difference. Because I know people like to run from the law of the most high, but when Christ was dealt with concerning the question of marriage, he went right back to the word of the most high. Because that's the ultimate authority on all things. And what the goal of marriage is, is that two become one. That is the goal of marriage. So a successful marriage in Christ is a couple working in their lives to accomplish the goal of two becoming one flesh in Christ. That is the big glaring difference. And that's a whole lot because there's a whole lot that goes with 
two becoming one. So that is the big major difference as opposed to the wisdom of this world because she shakes it right or she bakes nice cookies or her parents are rich or we got compatible lifestyles, uh, whatever it might be that you try to get together with e-harmony or, uh, you know, let's make friends on the line or whatever, you know? That's the big difference. We we do have another visitor to the virtual living room. And, visitor, you have a telephone number, 404-483. If you would go ahead and give us your name, your comment, or question, please. Hey, Shalom. What's on Christ bless everybody? This is Abadja. Hey, Abadja. What's on Christ bless? Shalom. Christ bless. Uh, Abadja, of course, you know that what we're talking about is marriage, and uh, we just introduced our uh, expert guest. And uh, about to uh, go into, uh, go back to, uh, this whole thing about preparing, uh, because just about anything that you do in life, you know, there's going to be some type of preparation. You get prepared to go to work. You get um, uh, prepared for a game. Uh, you get prepared to buy a house. You know, virtually every single thing that you're going to be involved in in life, there's some type of preparation before you actually execute, implement. So we were discussing before our guest came, arrived, we were discussing uh, the things about preparation. And uh, so uh, let me let me ask you, Kabar, uh, could you, is there anything more that you would like to add to what Kazaki had brought out earlier? Yeah, as far as that preparation is concerned, um, because the, the primary thing is, I mean, we have the financial situation, we have the extended family situation, all of these different elements that have to be brought into some kind of balance. But the primary thing, that's going to determine how all of these other fluctuations are going to come into balance is the mindset, and I have to say this, the mindset primarily of that man because he's going to be the one that has to enforce the standards. So the mindset of that man and also the mindset of that woman. But I'm going to start with the man because he, before, you know, in order for him to even get involved with this woman, he has to be, measuring and understanding and seeing where her mind is at and whether it's her mind can be brought into balance with Christ or whether it can't be, you know, and he has to make judgments based on that. But the mindset, I'm going to go to first uh, Matthew chapter um, 6 and verse 33 to start off with that mindset and why it's so, so important. And this is where the mindset has to start off at. This is, has to be the genesis of the mindset in order for every other thing in a person's life to be set in balance. Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the instruction that we got from the, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew is the sixth chapter, and there's a lot of other foundational things in that chapter for us to understand. But it all pivots on us seeking the kingdom first in his righteousness, meaning the righteousness through Christ and keeping the Most High's commandments. And it says, what? And all these things shall be added unto you. That is the that is the doorway into which all of the blessings of the Most High is going to flow into your life. Now, why is it so important for your mind to be set that way? Because Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, when you begin to deal according to the Most High guidance, you begin to deal with this woman, if your mindset isn't right, you're going to totally throw her out of balance. But if your mindset is in the place it's supposed to be, then you can actually help her to grow to the fullness of the stature, the measure of where she's supposed to be in Christ. 
Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 will demonstrate that. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, and that heart means his mind, out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, meaning the mind, his mouth speaketh. So that's why it's so important that that man's mind be in the right place, his heart be in the right place, because that is the um, the point from which everything else is going to flow. If it's in line with the kingdom and the righteousness of God, then he's going to be teaching and showing a proper example and imparting that to the woman he's dealing with. If it's not, then he's going to be imparting wickedness. He's going to throw his life out of balance. He's going to throw the woman's life out of balance and everything surrounding the situation. So the genesis, the beginning, the primary thing we need to be focused on is your mind, the mindset of that man and the mindset of that woman. Okay. So, Kakongo Bar, you know, understanding all of that, and uh, which to a lot of people that probably sounds like quite a bit. Um, when you and Ama um, came to the, the knowledge of the scriptures, you started following the scriptures. You had that inclination toward being obedient to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. How soon after that point uh, did you get married? And once you got married. Did you have a sense that you were fully prepared for marriage, or did you have a sense, you know, after you got married that, you know, maybe there was some lack of preparation? And just kind of talk a little bit about that experience. Well, basically, you know, the way we ended up getting back together is um, Ahmad said that, uh, quite correctly, we initially got, or we got married in, like, right, right around 96. But there was a time before that, probably a year, year and a half prior to that, uh, my head came to me with some information concerning the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we knew each other from, from past lives. So she gave me the scriptures and, uh, you know, me uh, being curious minded, I, I did a little dabbling here and there. And, and long story short, we never even talked to one another again until probably like a year and a half after that, like in 95. So after that, I started to deal with uh, the school in New York because that's where she was living at the time. And then we ended up, after dealing, you know, with the school in New York for a while, we ended up getting married right around 96. And um, Mm -hmm. as far as preparation, um, I can tell you quite honestly, around that time where the understanding was from the teachers that we were dealing with, there was no preparation. Wow. All the preparation, or excuse me, all the understanding came from uh, what the brother was bringing out is having that mind to humble down to deal with Christ. Because now, you know, when we talk about, you know, the Most High's Word and His law and so on and so forth, it all has to be grounded and founded with the understanding of Christ because there is no other foundation. And because people don't readily understand that, that's why, their marriages crumble and fall. Well, that, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's the point because, like I said, we have a lot of experiences, and a lot of them, are, unfortunately, are negative experiences. But, you know, there's an old teacher that said, uh, or used to say all the time, uh, an old teacher back in the day that Israel has the kind of stance or mentality that they have to experience the negative before they can understand what to do with the positive. 
And unfortunately for us, there's too many negative things, but it ended up being a positive because of the experience that we've gotten and we've grown from those things to understand what our marriage is supposed to look like. And if I could just comment on this one point, and I don't want us to lose this point. Ultimately, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, tells you what a man and woman's relationship is supposed to look like. It's -hmm. supposed to look like and be like Christ's relationship with the church. That's how the man and woman's relationship is supposed to be. That's why the word says it. And if it wasn't true, it wouldn't have stated in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Okay. And we'll probably end up uh, getting into that and exploring a little bit more here in a minute. But right now, I just want to focus a little bit more on this whole uh, notion of our preparation Mm-hmm. And what what you're bringing out about your your personal experience, which you know, right now you guys are still been still married, been married for 13 years or so. Um, it, it seems to contradict my earlier statement about the uh, marriage, not marriage, but preparation being so essential because you, you just stated that you know there was virtually no preparation at all based upon uh, what you knew of the scriptures at the time. Um, so, Alma, uh, from from your perspective, um, would you say that my statement, you know, because I mean, you you've actually lived it yourself. You know, you you and Kukumgabar were married, and you actually experienced all the pros and cons of entering into a marriage basically unprepared. So, would would you say that my statement is invalid, or you know, my statement of you know preparation is essential? Or would you say that's invalid, or would you say that your experience really validates it? I think that when you come together, as, like me and my husband came together, we didn't have a lot of experience at that time, but the one thing we did have in common was the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it said, like in Psalms 37 and 4, it reads, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of their heart, of your heart. And it's like, when you get into a marriage, you don't go into that marriage in, for it to fail. You go into it for that um, marriage to succeed. And for me, that was a desire of my heart. So the experiences and the tribulations and the things, you're never going to acknowledge. You're not going to see that at the beginning of a marriage. You're just coming together. We did have the Lord in common and the fear of the Lord, but as we went on, you know, the challenges and the things that we had to go through, you're not going to foresee that. You're going to go through it, but it's sticking in the scriptures and staying with what the Lord said is the Lord's word is what makes you endure it. So it's not a contradiction. It's only certain things you can see, certain things you can balance out in the beginning um, when you come together. And that fear of the Lord and that willingness to be obedient to the Lord's word, you know, is what you want to get you know, on both with both parties, and then you proceed from there. You know, and if you stay, the balance is Christ. You know, on both sides, it's, it's, I'm not with my husband because Jimmy is a baller or Jimmy has this characteristic. Or this isn't Jimmy's program. This is Christ's program. And whenever I went through those trials and tribulations, it ultimately bow, ended up being who I was going to bow down to. Am I going to do what the scripture said? that I have to do in marriage, not am I going to stay with this man or if I leave, I'm not going to have, the, it was none of those things. The bottom line is when it got tight and really, really hard, the bottom balancing point for me still being with my husband was 
who am I with as far as Christ and Satan? You know, because it's Christ's program. You know, and and like Kazaki was bringing out, it's ultimately yeah the man that's the head of the household, and I understand what that's about because the blessing of my husband makes me have the strength that I have to walk this earth in righteousness. That's an aid for me. But you know, the scriptures also get into um, <clears throat> Proverbs fourteen and one about that woman, wise woman. Um, um, building her house and that wicked woman tearing her house down. You know, those are things that that wife has to focus on, you know, as well when she's in the marriage because she has a job too, just as much as her husband. Now, Kukumabari, um, you, you, had, you had made a statement that uh, you basically uh, went into the situation unprepared, but it, it seems to me that maybe Omar is contradicting you just slightly and saying that uh, you you were prepared in that the fact that you guys agreed on the scriptures, you agreed in Christ. Well, so I is, mean, is, is that preparation enough then? Well, I mean, the thing is, is the the thing is, I don't think it's a contradiction. I just didn't okay. just elaborate on it. As far as actual what it takes to be married mm-hmm. and instruction, that was never there. But the only reason it did survive, and we seem to have had some success, and we continue to still grow together, uh, is because we did have a fear of the Lord. Even that out trumps everything, because the scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes 19, it says, him with small understanding, understanding that fears the Lord is greater than one that has great understanding and goes against the scriptures. I know I just butchered that scripture, but I don't have them in front of me. But it's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 19 that tells you that. So as long as we, with the small thing that we had, you know, you got to realize, we coming out of the world, highly prideful, our personalities are very aggressive. If we didn't have that humility, we would have destroyed one another. Mm-hmm. So that humility was there and it was agreed upon because that's the only thing that saved the marriage and kept us together and kept us in a situation where our minds were open enough to grow. So it's not a contradiction because if we would have had the understanding that we have now, we wouldn't have went through half the stuff that we went through then. Gotcha. That's the point that I was making. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. Abaja, uh, right. you, you heard what Kakama uh, Lama had to say about them being uh, preparing themselves for marriage. Now, one thing that they did not bring out, and I think they will agree with me, that one glaring difference about them preparing for marriage compared to a number of other people here in the United States is the focus on the wedding ceremony itself, actually getting married. You know, I think uh, I heard some statistics over the last couple of years that the average wedding in the United States costs something like $20,000, Okay. $20,000 to me, $20,000 cash is probably a good sum of money to give you a, a, a decent start in marriage, you know, as far as furnishing your house, apartment, maybe a down payment on a house or whatever. But people have somehow are coming up with this money to place on a marriage. Uh, I'm sorry, on a on a wedding ceremony, okay? Right. You have a lot of attention, a lot of planning and so forth being done to that. Is that correct or not as far as getting married? Is that where it should be? In order to get married, what does it take to actually get married? Well, uh, just to address a couple of things, uh, the, the scripture that Kakumagobar was uh, quoting was Ecclesiasticus 19 and verse 24, and that, that was basically that was close enough because basically the end of it says, you know, he that has small understanding and feareth God 
is better than one that has much wisdom and transgresses the law of the Most High. So, I mean, and that scripture even applies into, let's say, you know, going into your question about the uh, the wedding ceremony, okay? Uh, and that's, that's interesting because just a few weeks ago I actually um, had a conversation with a young lady who was, um, she's actually a wedding planner. And in that brief conversation she started breaking down the average cost, cost of, you know, different aspects that people, you know, take into consideration when they're putting on a wedding ceremony. So $20,000 is is on the low end. Is that right? Wow. Yes, sir. Okay. $20,000 is actually on the low end by the time you consider the cake and the gowns and the flowers, so forth and so on. Um, But to address that in the scriptures, when you look at, in the book of the Apocrypha, when you look at what happened with uh, Tobias, which was um, Tobit's son, long story short, um, just cutting to the point, there there were documents that were drawn up with regards to, uh, you know, a marriage. And on the reverse side, when you go to the um, to the Old Testament where, you know, regarding the bill of divorcement, that basically shows you that there were legal documents or some type of documents involved when a marriage took place. Um, now I don't recall, and someone can actually, um, you know, jump in, I don't recall ever seeing anything about, you know, the, a ceremony per se, but there were some type of, you know, ceremonies that were there and the fact that, you know, how the scriptures go into how the husband was supposed to, you know, stay stay with his wife a certain amount of time, you know, to cheer up his wife when he's married. So because because of that, he couldn't go out to war and, uh, you know, things in that in that light or that respect. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the things and practices that people observe now, you know, are more uh, custom and tradition, but it doesn't really you know, have any bearing on the success of a marriage, if you will. Okay. Um, Kabar, you have any comments on, you know, what a person must do in order to get married? Well, the thing is that, um, you know, all of those, the, as far as the must part, the must part has, the must, the must do part has to do with a person, you know, setting his mind right, and that is focusing on, the kingdom of heavenly father through Christ and keeping his commandments. That's the starting point. Also, the scriptures have deal with a lot of other points of wisdom as far as uh, all of the other day-to-day activities that go on in our life. There is a financial aspect. You know, there is a social aspect. There's a family aspect. And you need to also pay attention to those things. But it's in having your mind in the right place that allows you to actually order those things in a priority and in the position that they need to be in and having things in a balance. But the thing is that as far as the actual coming together, you read that in Tobias um, uh, chapter 8. Yeah, Tobias chapter 8 and verse Tobit. 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 Right. The book of Tobit. Tobit I'm sorry, you want, you want to start at verse 3? We can start at verse 3. No, um... I start at verse 4, and it says, this is Tobiah chapter 8 and verse 4. It says, Tobit chapter 8 and 4. And after that, they will both shut in together. This is Tobias and Sarah, the woman that he's going to marry. Okay, it says, Tobias rose out of the bed and said, Sister, arise, let us pray that God will have pity on us. Then began Tobias to say, 
Blessed art thou, O God of our fathers, and blessed is thy holy and glorious name forever. Let the heavens bless thee and all thy creatures. Thou madest Adam and gavest him Eve, his wife, for an helper and stay. Of them came mankind. Thou hast said, It is not good that man should be alone. Let us make him an aid like unto himself. And now, O Lord, I take not my sister for lust, but uprightly, therefore mercifully ordained, that we may become aid together. And she said with him, Amen. Meaning she agreed and set herself in a covenant to all of those things that he had prayed to the Most High for. This is this is the the uh, this, that's the marriage right there because it's, it's instituted in under and based on the laws of God. It, remember, uh, if you go back into the into that history, uh, his companion uh, Tobias' companion that went with him was actually an angel in a human form, guiding him through all of the things that he was going to be doing. All of this is, of course, coming from the Most High. There's a lot of detail in that story because the Most High actually set this in motion a long time ago. Um, And then he brought these two together through specific acts that he allowed to take place. Now, as they came together in order to set everything right, because both of them are keeping the law, both of them, a man and a woman, coming together under the the, the, uh, guidance, and the will of the Heavenly Father in obedience to his commandments, now that they come together, they have made this covenant. Uh, Moses, I mean, excuse me, uh, Tobias makes his prayer to the Heavenly Father. It is accepted with the Father. He lays with his wife, they one flesh. All of these other things, as far as the traditions that we receive from man, not that they're evil, but they are not necessary. I mean, if you want to have a ceremony with a bunch of people, you can afford that, that's fine. Even in this history that we read with Tobias, they had a marriage ceremony, a marriage feast for 14 days. So, you know, which is way longer than anything you see in this world today. And the amounts of and the amounts of wealth we're dealing with in that situation uh, far outweighs any marriage you have ever heard about now. So, of course, you know, you had those elements, but they weren't, they weren't commandments and laws from God. There were things that was added uh, that can make it, you know, uh, to beautify it and make things um, enjoyable, but that's not necessary to bring to the two individuals together. That's mostly the marriage ceremony is mostly for the extended family, mostly for everybody else to acknowledge and to see and to share in the joy that two are, are coming in together with. But it's not, it's, that's not necessary as far as God's commandments is concerned. What's necessary is both to have the right mindset, both to be committed to the Most High's commandments, and both to come in um, with the goal of becoming one flesh and entering to the kingdom together. And we read that in Peter's about, you know, she is going to, she is, you know, going to be with you and inherit, you know, eternal life with you. So that's the goal. Okay. So in a nutshell, then, uh, the the action that Tobias took with his with his bride of uh, Praying to the Most High to bless his marriage, that was the marriage itself. They were married at that point. Exactly. My, it's not. Understand the correct. So, so now there's a notion in this country that if uh, if if you don't have sexual intercourse, then the marriage is not valid. Is that valid? Is that notion valid according to the scriptures? Well. You have yes. That, now the 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 consummation aspect is very important, and we read that even in our history going back. Uh, you read instances even when our nation went to war, 
a declaration was made to all the men who were going into battle that if they hadn't laid with their wives yet, that they could go back and cheer up their wives for a year. But, the, you know, so that aspect is, is, is important also, but that aspect is secondary to the mindset being right and it being under the ordinance and, and guidance and will of the Heavenly Father. Okay, so now uh, you, you just brought out a point that that consummation uh, does not necessarily take place uh, immediately uh, once the, the, the marriage occurs, right? It, it could be, you know, some days later, it could be weeks later, and in the case these men are off the war, you know, there's some, apparently some period of time before they actually went back and consummated the marriage with their wives, but they still call them wives, am I right? When you're going to uh, Exodus, the moment right. that the moment that it, that these two are betrothed together, as far as the scriptures are concerned, they're married. Whether the time period between when they have sex, that's a whole other issue. But once once it is made known into a union mm-hmm. that these two have entered into a union, it's finished. They're married. The end. Okay. Okay. Once once they once they say they once they, the words are pronounced that they have entered into this union, they're married. They're married. Once once that betrothal is made, they're married, period. Okay. Another question along the same lines. Okay. Since since the thing was, uh, this man asked his bride, you know, to pray. They pray for the most high to bless the marriage. Okay, so they're married right then. Uh could they do that uh privately, away from everyone else, and no one has any notion that they're about to get married, and immediately afterwards, no one really has any notion that they have just gotten married. Is that is that okay? Is that a problem with that? No, because the, the how the Lord set it up was that, of course, if you're dealing with leaving father and mother, cleaving to your wife, become one flesh, who's not going to know that you're leaving father and mother? How is that not going to be made public? It wasn't something that was supposed to be done in secret and in, and in dark. Um, so as far as you trying to deal with this woman, you know, without anybody knowing, that that was never supposed to happen. Um, that the families were supposed to know and understand what was going on, the family of the, the man, the family of the woman, uh, the, the fathers of, of those two uh, individuals, to, of course, know and be on one accord with, what's about to take place, and then everything proceeding from there. He wasn't going to take this, steal this woman out of his father's, her father's house or get this woman pregnant in, his, in her father's house. All of those are dishonorable things, and that's not what we were supposed to be engaging in. It was supposed to be something where the father, either the, the father of that boy or the boy himself, uh, makes the declaration known to the father of the, of the woman or whoever is taking care of her. Uh, the agreement was supposed to be reached, and then everything proceeded from there, whether they set a date, when things are going to transpire, everything, so on and so forth. It was not supposed to be a secret thing in the dark at all. Okay. Uh, Abaja, we do have uh, someone that is waiting to join us in the virtual living room. But sounds like you hit, before we go there, it sounds like you had a comment you wanted to make. Right. Just uh, just a couple of brief things. Um, one, with respect to the, uh, the marriage, um, when you go back into Exodus, I'm going to read just Exodus 23 and 16, 22 and 16, where it says, if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, and that word betrothed there, which would translate to up to today, means engaged, meaning she's promised to be married with someone. 
It says, and lie with her. Basically, they lay down and they have sex. It says, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. So now the reason why this was stated in Exodus is because basically this man has humbled this woman, meaning that he lay with her and have sex. So at that point it was like, listen, you don't have, you're not going around, you know, just laying around with people like how you have nowadays. That was the law according, you know, that that was in place in Israel. And the thing about that is that basically anything outside of that is fornication. So now it's like this man has taken, you know, this man and this woman decided they're going to lie together. The most I said, listen, since y'all didn't do things the right way, he says, guess what? You shall surely endow her to be his wife. Now, the second part is in 17. If her father utterly refused to give her according to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. So now, basically, because this man didn't go about uh, marrying this woman the right way and being with her, now, at that point, the father was like, listen, you got to pay me a fine. But that still doesn't negate them, you know, that man and that wife being together. And now, I read that to lead into this, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and 25, going into the responsibility of the father. And the proper way to handle things is that, you know, the point the brother was bringing out is that the man was supposed to be dealing with that father. Because it, you had a lot of marriages that were arranged, also, you know, in that time in that time period as well, where you know that woman was betrothed or she was promised to be married unto someone. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven and twenty five, where it says, "Marry thy daughter, and so shalt thou have performed a weighty matter, but give her to a man of understanding." So what we're seeing in the scriptures is that everything is leading back to people having people that's getting into a marriage having a level of understanding and we know that this understanding is referring to the understanding of the uh commandments through the example of christ and and i'm glad you're bringing that up because that was that leads to another uh thing that i want to bring up and that is who should you marry you know is can't can you just marry anybody or do you have to be choicy about who you marry and what's the criteria uh should these people be like uh tall handsome beautiful people should they be rich What's the criteria for uh, marrying someone? Before we go there, we, like I said, we do have a visitor. And, visitor, you are joining us from uh, last four digits in your number. It's 9381. looks like you are out of the country, out of the, outside of the United States. Uh, if you would go ahead and give us your name and your comment or question, please. This is uh, Godaiwan here. I'd like to say shalom to everybody. Shalom, shalom. Godaiwan. Uh, first of all, you know, I wanted to uh, add on to what Kakam and, you know, what Amo was saying. And uh, this is just a scripture. It's uh, Ecclesiastes 26, verse 23. It's the wicked woman is given as a portion to a wicked man, but a godly woman is given to him that fear of the Lord. So, Kakam Gabar, you're a godly man. Amo, you're a godly woman. That's why y'all still together, because y'all fear the Lord. Uh Another thing as far as going into the preparation is something that's really lacking and, and could come touched on it about how, you know, he wasn't told or shown these things because the reason was is because we don't have the understanding of the Scriptures. When you look in the past, like the uh, brother was bringing out about Tobias, who instructed Tobias on what he was supposed to do and how he was, how he was supposed to deal in a marriage, it was his father that showed him. And now you really don't have fathers that, as the brother brought out, performing the weighty marriage. 
there's not fathers around to have care over their daughter's body or to look over their virginity. There's fathers that don't even care about their daughters or even to look after them to see, okay, or they're going to be with a godly man or or godly woman, and they don't have any understanding themselves. And I like to read this scripture as well. This is Tobit 4, verse 12, and this will partially answer your next question. It says, Beware of all whoredom, my son, and chiefly take a wife of the seed of thy fathers, and not take a strange woman to wife, which is not of thy father's tribe, for we are the children of the prophets, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, my son, that our fathers from the beginning, even that they all marry wives of their own kindred and were blessed in the children, and their seed shall inherit the land. So basically, Tobias, he got instructions from his father so he would know who he was supposed to marry, what qualities that he was supposed to look out for. You really don't find that in today's society. You know, most people, what are they looking for? They're looking for carnal things. Or this person has to have a certain amount of money. They have to have a certain amount of job. All of these things are good, but without the scriptures, they're spiritually useless. And that's why marriages fail, because God is not the key factor. You don't have a man that fears the Lord. You don't have a woman that fears the Lord, so you fail. People just go what they want, their heart's desire, and then they don't match up. They can't agree, and so the marriage fails. Okay. Well, Gadai, I definitely uh, appreciate that, and that definitely goes uh, into the point that I want to bring out because, you know, people have a lot of different ways of evaluating who it is that they want to get married, but, you know, there's a way that, you know, people think is the right way, and then there's a way that the Scripture says is the right way. So, Kuzakia, um, would it be okay, as many men sometimes do, they go out and they look to see, who is the absolute best-looking woman, and then they test drive a few of them for sex to see which one they're going to choose. Is that okay? No, that is very much not okay. Uh, that No, that's because what you're talking about and the uh, the scenario that you're describing, believe it or not, brother, that's a case of fornication. You're sitting out there, you're looking at the woman, you, you, you're looking at her uh, physically, uh, you know, she, she physically she appeals to me, well, let me see how she is in this circumstance. In this circumstance, you get in the bed with her, you deal with her, you may find out, okay, uh, she pleased me physically, but emotionally she's not there, she's lacking so forth and so on. Or you may have pleased her physically, but emotionally you're not there with her. So guess what? You you just commit, uh, committed uh, fornication, like the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Well, actually, fornication and what, what comes under that is uh, whoremongering. So it, it, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, just to read it again, it says marriage is honorable and all. That, that institution, that God-ordained institution of the union of a man in Christ and a woman in Christ coming together, that marriage, that's honorable and, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now, what you just described, brother, is a is 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 a, is a case of fornication that can fall into the category of whoremongering because that's what that's what you describe. I'm looking, I'm a young man looking for a woman. Oh man, she looks good. She, uh, I mean, she has everything in the right place. Let me let me test drive it. Let me see what she's about. Let me get into the bed with her. Let me deal with her intimately and see how that goes. And there is there there is no preparation. There is no uh, no guidance in Christ. There is no dealing with him. 
dealing with each other in Christ. It's just, hello, how you doing? Let's go to the bed. Let's let's test drive. Let's see how we are uh, uh, sexually. That's off. That's wrong. But now, now, think about it. You know, every, just about every single aspect of what you're going to experience in a marriage, just about every single aspect, you're going to be able to get some clue as to what this, before getting married, you're going to be able to get some clue as to how things are going to work after you get married. And I said a clue because I understand you're not going to be able to uh, know exactly. So you don't want surprises if you can help it. So why wouldn't you want to go ahead and test drive this out, you know, before you actually do that step? You know, I mean, it doesn't it kind of make sense that, you, you know, what if you, what if you actually get married without ever having sex with this woman? And then you find out that really sex is practically impossible with her for maybe some emotional reason. Then okay. what you got? What you got is you got a man that's leading on his own understanding, first and foremost. Number two, you got a young man that's looking at things from a carnal aspect. We got the, that, and that's what a lot of these marriages are based or established upon nowadays, on the carnal, on the fleshly, on the physical. And the scriptures in Romans, the eighth chapter tells you, uh, to be carnal-minded is enmity with God. So first and foremost, let's graduate the mindset. Let's get out of the carnal. Let's get to the spiritual. And at that point, I'd like to read Matthew, the seventh chapter. It says, uh, uh, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree, every good tree, excuse me, bringing forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit. So now let's take that example. Let's apply it to marriage. First and foremost, you got to be keeping the commandments in Christ, and you bought, and you got to be bringing forth that fruit. Now, if there's somebody that 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 appeals to you, look at their actions. Are their actions in line with the scriptures? First and foremost, are they trying to repent? Are they bringing forth those fruits meet for repentance? Are are they bringing forth those fruits of the spirit? That love, that joy, that peace, that meekness, that temperance, that goodness, that faith, so forth and so on. Are they bringing those out? Also. What Christ said, let your light so shine. Are you, being, are you being an example? You as a man, are you being that example in Christ? This young woman that you may be interested in, is she being that light? Is she trying to be an example of Jesus Christ? These are the things that, that should be looked at and should be evaluated more than the physical about test driving and so forth and so on. So, so you're, saying that, you're saying that potentially you could get married. And you may not ever have sex in your marriage because your spouse is incapable, but then you're still married. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that because the, the, the scriptures uh, uh, address those things that deal with intimacy as well in First in Corinthians. First and foremost, what I'm saying, and let's go to the scriptures now because the scriptures can speak a whole lot better than I can. In Luke, the sixth chapter, I'm just going to read it. Uh, it says, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse uh 46, and why call, ye, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream, and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently 
and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house is great. Now, what Christ is talking about here is establishing the foundation. And in anything, especially marriages, the marriage has to be rooted, established, or founded, or grounded. Choose one of those words. They all mean the same thing. In Christ. The man has to be established in Christ. The woman has to be established in Christ, repenting, learning, growing, applying the scriptures. Can I say something? Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. The, the, the scriptures, the the scriptures say, when thou gettest a friend, prove them first, and not be hasty to credit. So, wow. if you're gonna if you're gonna get a wife, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, that's where you have to be open and honest. But some some people that they're just so involved in what the looks are all about. And the brother read the scripture before where Tobias and the woman who is married, Sarah. He sat down and prayed and said, Now, now, oh Lord, I take not this my sister for lust, but uprightly. So sex is a part of it, but it's not the end of all or do all. You're not going to be having sex 24-7. And being a married man, I notice sometimes my wife is sick. And when she's had babies, you couldn't have no sex. There's a menstrual cycle, all those things. So sex is, sex is really a small part of the whole of the marriage, but so many people have it backwards and they put the emphasis on sex and that's why it fails. Right. That's why so many marriages fail. Okay. All right, so so you're you're not going to know about the sex before you get married, but here's something that you you can have an idea about. You can have an idea about somebody's finances, you know, uh, you know whether they are financially secure, whether they are capable of producing income, especially in the case of a man, because from everything that I learned growing up and from the, the things that I see indicated in the scriptures, you know, a, a man is supposed to work and he's supposed to provide for his family. So is this something that is important uh, that, uh, you know, people understand about the person they get married to, or is it not important? That's very important. And I, important. Okay, very important. So that's that's very Just like important. Uh, and how important? Should should a woman uh, say, hey, listen, you know, you're not making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm sorry, you know, I'm not interested. Any man is not making at least that. That's the minimum. Is that a, a fair criteria uh, according to what's in the scriptures? Is that a fair criteria for a woman to base uh, who she's selecting as a spouse? If a woman right. says that to you, then tell her thank you and run it out of the direction. <laughs> because <laughs> we're dealing with madness, okay? So, I mean, the thing is, the criteria is always going to go back to the scriptures, and it's always going to go back to that mind state. The fact of the matter is, and it's, you know, going to be hard to take, but the fact of the matter is all marriages outside of Christ have already failed. The end. Now, when we repent and commit to Christ, those marriages can be rehabilitated and brought to the proper balance. For brothers who are already in Christ and sisters who are already in Christ single, they have a better chance of getting uh, the preparation stage uh, in a much better condition before they even get married. But let's go back to let's go back. Before before you continue, I want to ask you a question. Uh-huh. So a sister should just accept, you know, a brother. He has a a low-end job, he lives with his parents, would you 
Would you qualify him as mad material? No. Because I, I was actually want, I want to. So I wouldn't go as far as saying the hundred thousand job, but come on, brother, gotta be stable now. Brother, <laughs> <laughs> like, gotta be stable now. It's like, yeah, I got a job. I'm at the BK. You know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of factors that come in there. BK may be fine for a single brother, or a brother may have a job and he's single, and he's able to support himself where he's comfortable. But being married once. Uh, once a woman comes involved, once children comes involved, it doubles, it triples, it quadruples. It just gets large. Spaces get larger and larger and larger and larger to where a person uh, they can be overcome. And it's the common sense: romance without no finance is a damn nuisance, and that's the truth. So a person does have to be financial stable. Not not that money is the do all and end all, but the scriptures do say that money answer of all things. We know that you have to deal with the righteousness of the Heavenly Father of Christ or you're going to, you know, go into many hurtful lusts in dealing with that. But you can't fall a woman and say, look, I want a man to be stable, not for him, look, he got to have a million dollars or, you know, he got to have a gold tooth, gold change, or I ain't dealing with him kind of scenario. But a woman should look for a man that's stable. That's where the father came into it and could advise his daughter and say, look, no, nah, honey, see, he's not ready yet. He needs to do, yeah, he's in the scriptures and commandments, but he needs to do this, this, and this before he could be able to support you as a wife. Right, because I, I just wanted to briefly address that because uh, actually uh, Kabar and I were talking about that a few weeks back. And the answer to that is is right back in Genesis where it goes into the the man and the, and the woman leaving father and mother, the man cleaving to his wife and becoming one flesh. And part of that leaving father and mother means that you have the ability to sustain a household and provide for that house, household as a man. You know, not just financially, but in all aspects, but the ability to sustain your own household and be off on your own is one thing. But when you're talking about cleaving to your wife and becoming one flesh, that means that you have made preparations to uh, support a family, um, you know, at least in some degree of stability. You know, because we all know that things happen, you know, people get laid off, so forth and so on. But that doesn't negate the fact that you prepare as much as humanly possible for a wife and children. Okay. And, you know, you know, another, let me just bring out another aspect of that very point, because it goes into the foundation. It gives you the idea of what the most I was dealing with when he instituted it. Now, remember, our people were divided in inheritance. And when that son or that whoever left, they got their portion of that inheritance. And remember, as that, that man was leaving father and mother, uh, cleaving up to his wife and becoming one flesh, he had land to deal with. And as long as a man had land, he had a means of producing income and wealth. And because he had that means of producing income and wealth, he could not only support himself, he could support his family. The, the social system was already designed to, to be able to sustain the families, and that's why uh, land didn't pass from one tribe to the other. The most high was very specific in the stipulations about all of that because it was a part of the economic structure and our people um, having the fabric of society uh, tightly tightly knit. Um, so, you know, we don't think about those aspects a lot, but those were, that was present. And you had, you know, inheritance being divided up. Everybody had a portion, and from that portion, everybody had the ability and the potential to produce their own wealth and income as far as a man was concerned. All right, well, uh, for the last 
several, several minutes, we I, I've been doing a very poor job of uh, involving our expert guest in the program. And so I want to uh, bring them back in uh, to speak a little bit more about this whole uh, notion about who you select as a spouse. And there are some other things that someone may, may uh, Kongabar and Ama, there are some other things that someone may have in their background. For example, uh, their credit history, uh, their medical history, their criminal background. Are those things unimportant in selecting a spouse, or are they all important in selecting a spouse? Kakongabar? I hear him talking, but I don't okay, hear him well, through the radio. I'm not, if you would, you could go ahead and address it for me. When people repent in Christ, they're coming from all those avenues and other avenues. So right. it just boils down to when you're dealing with what you're dealing with, and it says a man is known by his fruit. Nobody has everything all in order. If someone has a history of criminal, being a criminal or bad credit and whatever they bring it to the table, coming in repentance, you know, and those things are going to be corrected through following the order of Christ, and those things will get in order. So <clears throat> to me, I'm not going to take a criminal that's criminal-minded. I'm not going to deal with someone who has bad credit and is not thinking about having good credit. I'm not going to deal with somebody that's not dealing with the laws of the Lord. You know, that's just not something that I want as far as a husband. You know, you want, mm-hmm. and people aren't going to be 100% perfect in marriage, but you learn and you grow. But just as much as looking at um, anything, whether it be the the woman and the carnal things you're looking at with that woman, or the same thing with the man, you got to look at that person is really willing to serve the Lord, you know, and his true fruits, you know, not just saying it, but seeing that that man is actually doing it as a woman. Because you can clearly see this man has a fear of God, you know. And that's kind of um, a, a rest as far as a woman. That's a that's a breather in a resting place when you find a man that is truly serving the Lord because you know that there's a good possibility if he stays in the Lord that you're not going to deal with a lot of things, you know, of the world, like criminal, mm-hmm. being a criminal or those other things that you talk about, so. Okay. I um, think that the question you asked it just falls down to repentance, and that that person truly repented. Okay. Hey, hey, I'm back on. I was on mute, but that's why we want flesh because I would answer it the same way. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Scripture in Second um, Corinthians, the fifth chapter, I believe, is the seventeenth verse. It's the tenth or the seventeenth verse. It says. When you become a uh, into Christ, you become a new creature. All old things have passed away. Mm-hmm. That's what we're dealing with. So we can't deal with people's past. But she said one key thing: whatever you come in with, whatever you're dealing with, make sure you put it on the table in all honesty and you let it be an open show, so that the comparison can be made on whether a person is truly repented. Because this is what I was, but this is the fruits that I'm showing you now in Christ. And okay, that's, then, that's what we have to judge it for. And the scripture to back that statement up, that you put all this stuff on the table, what scripture backs that up? What's that now? You, you, you make you statement that you, you put all these. The script, all the scripture talks about the way we not, when we re, truly repent, 
when you look at the mindset that's supposed to be changed in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, one of the first things it says that you're not supposed to lie one to another. That's, mm-hmm. that's, right, that's the right scripture. I, I'm kind of like out of deficit because I don't have my scriptures in front of me. But in Ephesians uh, 4, verse 24, is that right? Like around verse 26? Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's Second Corinthians right. 5 and 17, which basically right. goes into what y'all were talking about as far as if you, are, if you are now a man or a woman in Christ, those things that you used to do or the way that you used to be or how you used to, used to act, histories and things of that nature, that's all over with. That's done. That's passed away. Exactly. Now, but now he said what's backed up about the honesty where the scriptures talk about how we're not supposed to lie one to another. Right. You know, those are the things that we suppose if we dealing in Christ, one of the first things and some of the characteristics that tells us that the fruits of the spirit are supposed to be about are those things that enlist and more because those things are usually generalizations of the way we supposed to grow in the spirit. So when the scriptures say that we're supposed to put on this new man and this new mindset and be renewed in the spirit of the mind in, the, in Ephesians 4, the fourth chapter, one of the things it says is that we're not supposed to lie to one another. So that's why when we come to the table and we deal in this relationship, because remember, I think sometimes we forget that we're going to take two entities and combine them and make them one. Mind. That is the key. That is the goal of what a marriage in Christ is supposed to be. That's why he said it in Mark 10 and Matthew 19 and of all other places about leaving father and mother and, and cleaving to one and becoming one flesh. So you would you be like Ephesians 5, would you be dishonest with yourself? No, you wouldn't. Because you want flesh. Yes, that's right. That's right. There's also, uh, a question along that same line, though. Um, are, are, are what you're seeing is that, um, in, in not lying, is omitting something, is that lying? For example, you know, I have a felony in my record. She she didn't ask me anything about it. She's not saying anything about it, so I'm not saying anything e- either. Is that considered a lie? That, that, that's a, that goes under the category of lying? I've got the scripture for you. This James 5 and 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So confession is that something that you do openly. You don't you don't conceal it because the scriptures speak about that. He that covers sin shall not prosper. So eventually that's going to come out. Maybe you didn't get a job and then she'll find out about it. Like, why did you, you, you lie about it? But it says, what, we're supposed to confess our faults one to another that we may be healed of these things. Another scripture says, reproach not a man that turneth from sin. So if we've turned from these things, then we can no longer be reproached or put down for these things that we've done in our past for the very reason what Kakam said, the scripture that he quoted, because we're new creatures in Christ. But, but you know, in, in the past, brothers and sisters, um, there was a time when, for most people, when they grew up, uh, and, and the person they married is someone they've been knowing for a decade. They knew them while they were growing up. So they knew the things that they were involved in, what was good or bad. They had some really good idea of who this person is. But today society is very transient. You know, we have people that uh, were born out of the country and moved into the country as adults, you know, people that moved from south to north and north to south and so forth, you know, back and forth. So you have no idea who their friends are. You don't know who their family are. Any of those things, when you meet them, 
and they are representing themselves, but they are representing themselves to be a member of the body of Christ, to to believe in the scriptures and so forth. Although they are representing themselves to be that, isn't there something in the scripture somewhere to say uh, that you should, I think Ronald Reagan said something about uh, trust but inspect. If they say I have no felonies in my background, if they say my credit is excellent, shouldn't you go ahead and take their word for it, but also at the same time say, hey, listen, let's just go ahead and exchange credit reports so we'll know exactly what we're dealing with. Well, I can answer that um, in one scripture. Because actually the, the one where uh, Kakongabar was quoting is in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So even addressing that, the latter part of that scripture, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, basically going into what everybody was bringing out when we coming into Christ, all of that slick talk and slickness and hidingness and, you know, all that subtlety, all that goes out the window. Okay, okay, we're supposed to learn to be. Excuse me for cutting you off, but think about it. How many times have you seen, and, and most of us have been in, involved in this walk for long enough, so that we've seen a lot of different people profess to be in Christ. Okay, All right, I'm getting so how that. many times have you seen someone profess to be in Christ, and then at some point later on, you, you, their actions and behavior indicate they're not in Christ. Okay, so, so now here you have someone that's representing to you, I have no felonies. My medical mm-hmm. history is clean. My family's medical history is clean. My credit is perfect and all those things. And you need to take my word for it because the scripture says, uh, you know, lie not. So I'm not lying to you. Okay, okay. now you go ahead, based on that information, you go mm-hmm. ahead and make a decision to get married. All right? And we know that the possibility does exist, and correct me if I'm wrong, that someone might <clears throat> actually be lying about any or all of those particular um, aspects of their background. Okay. Well, it's simple. It's very simple to answer that question. Mm-hmm. First of all, the scripture said, "When thou gettest a friend, to prove them first, and be not hasty to credit." Because someone they they would look at the physical and say, "Man, okay, this person looks very good. They've got credit. They they're in Christ. Let me go ahead." The scriptures also I read earlier was about how a wicked woman was given unto a wicked man. Anyone that fall into that trap, they need to to examine themselves. <laughs> Why Why that happened? Because they were hasty. They jumped at it. You have no, you have to wait, be patient. If the person has good credit, it's going to manifest themselves mm-hmm. that they have good credit. If they have bad credit, it's going to manifest themselves. But they have to be proven first, right. and that happens over a period of time. And you know when the time is right because the Lord will let you know when things are right. Yeah, this is the woman for you. This is the man for you. If you're waiting, that person that's hates, they just want that person for sex. And the person that's really dealing in Christ, they're going to be able to see, no, wait a minute. No, you're not in the right mindset. Maybe later, I'm not saying never, but right now, you don't have the proper understanding that if I deal with you, there's going to be a whole bunch of madness. So it's some things you got to understand before we lay down, and this thing is permanent in the Lord. Right, and we, we don't find ourselves... Basically committing fornication and adultery, because that's what that's the scripture the brother was quoting is uh, right where I was going. Ecclesiasticus chapter six verse seven. I mean that is verbatim. If thou wouldest get a friend, prove him first, and be not hasty to credit him. So it, it goes into basically one of the fruits of the spirit, which is, which is patience. Uh huh. Okay. It goes so into and proving them. What what types of things do you do in in regard to proving a friend? 
What what is well, that? Well, it's not like you sitting in a lab with a white coat on and you know you <laughs> performing different tests. Okay, let me see how they react to this chemical in here. It's basically as you are growing in the spirit, and you and this uh, this other person, whether it's a man wanting to deal with a woman or a woman wanting to deal with a man. You're basically just like, okay, you know what? I think I'm interested in this person. As you start dealing with each other over time, those different aspects are going to come out, whether it's through different conversations that you have about money or because the thing is, okay, you have two people that profess to be in Christ. All right, so basically that cuts out a lot of the things that you're going to have to deal with in the world. But when you start dealing with this person, okay, and over time, that's where those different things are going to come out and where, you know, the different views that you may have on certain things, you know, get put on the table, um, you know, just just across the board in general. It's and called you know, fruits. Right. There you it's there called you fruit. Just like at time, times for fruits to, re- to develop, but eventually you will see those fruits on the tree. And that's what Christ said, you know, a good tree is going to bring forth good fruits. So a person who you want to deal with as a wife or a husband, you're going to see those fruits of love, of joy, of peace, of long-suffering upon them. They're going to bear them to where you can see them. It's not going to be hidden. You're like, yeah, this person, yeah, they've got patience. This person, yeah, they got that love. they got that sincere love for, for the brothers, for the sisters. You're going to be able to see these things. They're not going to be able to hit it. That's going to be the proof. They're going to prove themselves in Christ. They're going to prove themselves to God by doing the commandments, and you're going to be able to see them. I can okay. answer it any better. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, very good, brothers. I appreciate that. And so now we have uh, covered, and I think rather thoroughly, uh, preparing for a marriage and then selecting a mate. Uh, we also have to cover uh, maintaining the marriage and ending the marriage. And that maintaining the marriage is, uh, I think, pretty critical and uh, Kakangabar and Amai, I think you guys can really attest to uh, that, you know, the, the types of things that are involved in maintaining a marriage. Is, is, is there anything that you can uh, give us, Kakangabar, about your marriage that would be, like, key elements to actually maintaining a marriage? Well, it, it, it goes back to something uh, the brother Kazaki brought out way in the beginning. Second Corinthians 13 and 5 about examining yourself, making sure you're in the faith. Mm-hmm. In essence, our Lord and Savior, Christ, gave us instruction and marching orders on how to be according to his will, excuse me, according to the Father's will, and he left us a consummate example. So the first thing you have to do is you have to make sure that you in that spirit, the deal. Now, I'll share with you uh, an example. When I first got married, comes out of the world, you know, you look at the scriptures, and the scriptures say, well, I interpreted the scriptures saying that the man was in charge. So I required or wanted my wife to exhibit behavior that she would listen to me and that she would shut the hell up when I was talking and listen to me and do what I say. How did that work out? Of course, that did not work out. Okay. Right? So... Through the understanding what I ended up figuring out after examining myself and getting myself in line was that it wasn't that she was supposed to listen to me. She was supposed to listen to Christ 
in me. That was the key. That was the key, and that is the ultimate key in maintaining the marriage. Now, if I'm acting a fool, she shouldn't listen to me. But if I'm managing myself based on what the scriptures say and exhibiting those fruits, it's not me that she has to submit to. It's Christ in me that she is willing to submit to, and that's the way it has to be. That's how you maintain the marriage. For the man's point of view, he's giving authorities to deal with certain things according to his house. Ephesians 5 says that the man is the image of Christ, and the woman is the image of the church. And the relationship that we have is based on that relationship. The man is given the authority to guide his household, including his wife, according to the awesome word and will of the Most High. Now, the woman's role is to what? Like the scriptures say, reverence her husband in Christ. But her job is to deal with Christ also. So the maintenance, it all falls on whether or not the mind of the man and the woman is going to be in lockstep to deal with the understanding of Christ. And then when the correction comes and the exhortation has to be given and all those things going back and forth, you, they seem to work themselves out because it's maintained on that foundation that is in Christ. Well, Alma, let me ask you, uh, how different is it for, for you dealing with your husband whenever there's uh, a disagreement, or maybe he's done something to offend you, which, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that just like in most marriages, if not all marriages, at some point both spouses will offend the other spouse. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh, is the case in your marriage. Uh, how different is it uh, in a case where he may have offended you uh, as opposed to someone else outside your marriage, you know, me, for example, if I had offended you? You know, as far as you applying the scriptures, is there any difference about your approach there? No. There's no difference at all? It's the same approach? None. Nope. Well, what is that approach? Done, everything has to be done according to the scriptures if there's an offense. The scriptures tell you how to deal with the offense, and there's no um, separation from husband, child, or church, or even people that are not dealing in Christ. You just conduct yourself as the way that the Lord says to conduct yourself. A lot of times you have to, you know, just as a woman, you have to sit and just calm down and come out of emotion, but then you still have to approach the offense, or because sometimes you think offense is an offense and it's not an offense. You know, it's just how you look at it. You have to approach, as the scriptures say, approach to keep it in order and clear it up. Okay. So there is no difference, no. No difference at all. All right. Um, so uh, what scriptures do, uh, do, do you, uh, brothers, suggest that uh, a couple rely on? And let me go to you, Kazaki, on this question. Uh, any prescri- uh, particular prescriptions come to m- prescriptions? Scriptures. <laughs> Which is probably the same thing, huh? <laughs> Any particular scriptures come to mind uh, regarding uh, conflict resolutions other than the ones that uh, Kakam Gabar has already mentioned? It's uh, <clears throat> a good question. A uh, scripture that comes to mind, comes to my mind first and foremost is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 20. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, the point being is this. 
even though the scripture says brother here, that does not mean wives or sisters or so forth and so on are excluded. The scripture is, as far as, as, as far as conflict resolution, this scripture is definitely a universal scripture that can be, that can be applied to almost, if not all situations as far as conflict resolution. Matter of fact, all situations. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee, thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Guess what, people? Even though I'm not on the, uh, on the panel, as far as experts, quote-unquote, is concerned, I'm married. And I have to apply this scripture as well when it comes to conflict resolutions between me and my wife. Secondly, I'm looking for that scripture. Brothers, help me out right quick. I'm looking for that scripture. I believe it's in Colossians when it says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Give me a second. If anyone has a fault. Oh, my God. It's Colossians, it's Colossians 3, like verse 12. Thank you. Because uh, that's, that's also a part of it. Um, there it is, Colossians 3 and 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So the point is, as far as conflict resolution, apply Matthew the 18th chapter. You go and you tell your spouse, Babe, sweetheart, however you want to put it, uh, you did this, or I saw that you did this, and I was offended by that, et cetera, et cetera. You get it out, you talk about it, you air out your differences, and then afterwards, apply the scripture. Forgive one another, because who's, who's perfect other than Christ? In our relationship, in a marriage, who's perfect? Neither one. So there's going to be times and occasions in which I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I offend my wife. And there'll be times and occasions in which my wife will offend me. Now, what is the main deal is what happens or what's supposed to happen when those offenses come around or when they happen. What's supposed to happen is we go to the scriptures and we deal with these with each other outside excuse me, out in the scriptures, not outside the scriptures, out in the scriptures and rectify the situations in the scriptures. Also, in Second Corinthians the fourteenth chapter is it Second Corinthians or is it First Corinthians, where it says, uh, "In malice be ye children, but in understanding be ye men." I believe that's First Corinthians, the fourteenth chapter. I could be mistaken, but the overall point is, when the scripture talks about "in malice be ye children," that means in understandings and well, misunderstandings, miscommunications, disagreements. Just as children, they say what they say, and then they upset with each other for fifteen, twenty minutes. And then it's all over with, it's squashed, it's forgotten about. That's the same way that we're supposed to be in conflict resolution. We apply the scriptures. Brother, it's shorter than that. <laughs> yeah. A few seconds. Thank you, I appreciate that. But the overall point is just, uh, just how children say what they say, and then it's over with, it's done, it's forgotten about. They're best friends. They're dealing with each other as if it never happened at all. That's the same way that it's supposed to be with the husband and with the wife concerning conflict resolution. Not to mention, lastly, in our Proverbs, where it says, only by pride cometh contention. So now, if there is contention, who was not being humble? Who was not, who was not humbling themselves? Is it the husband, not the wife? Is it the wife, not the husband? Or is it the combination of the both that are not humbling themselves? These are a couple of uh, scriptures that come to mind when dealing with conflict resolution, as, you know, as I think of it. Okay. 
All right, brother, you put plenty of bullets into that one, but it still got a little bit of life because the question is now, what if that person happens not to agree with you? What if what if that spouse, you, you said, hey, listen, you've offended me. I, I don't see what the big deal is. And they, their reply is, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, it was it's, it's not a problem. You're making, a, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. So now you can't reconcile this difference. You know, Kabar, can you tell me what happens at that point? What what scripture do you resort to in order to get it resolved at that point? You're talking about a married couple who can't come to a, an agreement? Yes, yes. Uh, one one person's offended, and the, the scripture that Kazaki brought out was in Matthew 18, how you go to them and you tell them their fault alone, okay, So, but they're not hearing you. They're not hearing that, you know, it's not a problem. I didn't offend you. They're not apologizing. They're not repenting. They're, they're cool with it. So now what do you do? You know, the you know the thing is you're dealing with a marriage and you got these two individuals who are supposed to be becoming one flesh. Um, of course, there's problems in a marriage, uh, and you have to resort to the scriptures to resolve them. You know, you have certain instances where one or both parties aren't dealing right to resolve that issue. And, of course, you know, the scriptures talk about uh, letting counsel go before every enterprise. Um, so it's going to involve the scriptures, it's going to involve counsel, and it's going to involve uh, a willing heart on both parties to come to some kind of understanding. Okay. Right. Is there anything that, uh, Amal, would you want to add something to that? Yeah, when you're dealing, like, just through, this is just definitely through experience. A lot of times my husband has dealt with me on various issues a lot of times. And it wasn't a matter of me and him not agreeing or me taking a separate stance from what he was saying. A lot of times it's just that I don't understand. And uh-huh. I can't agree and say, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to shut down because my husband's the head, and I'm not going to buck or tear my household down because I'm not seeing as he sees. But a lot of times, just, you know, when you're dealing, dealing with the long-suffering and the charity, you just, you, this, you like you say, you, you bring something to somebody, you know, and as the church say, you leave it to God. Because I've noticed, I've always noticed that if this man is dealing with me and bringing scriptures and talking to me, and I don't see it, the most high through Christ always puts it to me. I might be at work at the supermarket, something might happen. I might make a major fall, and, you know, something's going to happen if this man is bringing me something that I don't understand that is going to have me to say, boom, this is what he was trying to tell me, or this is what he was talking about, even right down to an offense. I might be offended because I didn't like the way you said what you said to me. You're not supposed to be talking to me like that. So I'm stuck on you talking to me like that, and I'm not hearing what he's saying, where I might go to work the next day and I might say something to an inmate, and she might look at me and go, why are you talking to me like that? And I'm looking at her going, this child ain't paying attention to nothing I'm saying. She's looking at how I'm talking, and then boom, there it is. So my point is, Christ through prayer is always going to be there in your marriages because you can prepare, you can prep for a marriage, and that's all well and good, but you're still enduring to the grave, okay? You're still going to go through this process of learning and elevating in Christ 
and there's going to be stumbles, and there's going to be fallbacks and misunderstandings. But you've got to always remember that Christ is always there through your prayer. Lord, help me to see what this man is talking about because I don't see it. Controlling your anger, even if you think you're right. Let me just calm myself down. Lord, if I'm wrong, show me that I'm wrong. If my husband is wrong, Lord, show him, you know, what it is that I'm trying to say. It's not, let me take the word wrong out because it's not about right and wrong between the husband. Sometimes it's just a matter of not understanding what it is that somebody is saying. And those are a lot of times, just through my experience, what the disagreements are. If you leave the emotions out, the disagreements are that the one party does not see, have the experience, or understand what it is that you're saying. And you have to back off and let that person see. You can't make them see what they don't understand. A person has to experience that. That's in marriage. That's with youth versus older people. That's, you know, that's with children versus the parents. That's just how it is. This thing in Christ is a process. So you have to be patient. Yes, I may I ask the sister a question? Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, that means in, in dealing in a marriage, especially those that's uh, in Christ, they shouldn't be trying to get away from one another at the first time something goes wrong. No, no, definitely not. And those that do, I, it's just a matter of them growing. They've got, where I'm speaking now comes through probably 99.9% of the mistakes that you're speaking of, wanting to get away because I don't even want to hear his voice. You know, all of that. 13, 14 years ago. Why has he always got something to say about what I'm doing? All of those changes that we go through, but that one thing that kept me with that man was if I set my foot outside this door, the most high in Christ going to give me the business. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and that was the thing. She said the most high in Christ going to give me the yep. business. Uh-huh. They're going to give me the business. Uh, you're sorry, uh, before you carry on, no, you got somebody waiting. I'd I really like to uh, commend you on your choice of uh, expert uh, guest tonight, because I don't really think anybody else would be dishonest. Praises. I don't think it was my choice. You know, not that I wouldn't have chosen chosen them, but I'm, you know, I don't remember how this transpired, but somehow or another we got the notion at some point. You might remember how it took place. I don't remember. But somehow we got the the notion that they were going to be the people that were going to couple that was going to be on this this program. Right. Well, yeah. So you know, well, it's, it's hey, not me. Hey, listen. Can I can I say something? Getting back to that one that point. Um, something, I, and I'm not just saying this because of uh, some of the things that me and my wife learned in dealing with each other in Christ. Um, something that we started to do and we're still learning to do it, is when issues came up, instead of making an accusation or making a statement, we started to ask questions about things we didn't understand. And another thing to keep it, you know, real according to the scriptures that we do is if my wife says something to me and I don't understand it, even if it's in a bit of an emotional fit or I'm just not listening, whatever. We wait till the issue calms down or it's not so hot. And then, like, if she says something to me, I might go back at her and say, you know what, what you was trying to tell me, I really, really didn't understand it. Could you show me in the scriptures 
what it was, based on the scriptures, what it was you was trying to show me. And usually that that cuts the arguments, that cuts the cuts all the confusion, because the defining moment is based on thus saith the Lord. Uh-huh. And that adds a lot when it comes to going back to the conflict resolution and, and these things. But one of the fundamental problems with, with our people is they don't realize that that book, the Bible, the Word of the Lord, and His Son Christ is the authority for the instruction on living life in every aspect. That's one of the problems. And that's something... When me and my wife stumble, it comes down to one thing, faith. What what we're dealing with is that the faith. You ask these questions, what if this, what if this? Well, the scriptures tell us if we apply the word of the Most High to the different aspects of our life, we're going to have success. That's the key. That we, It don't, might not come in our time or fast enough, fast enough for us, but the key is dealing with the scriptures according to that faith. That's well, one more thing. Christ quoted something that we have to always be mindful of. Christ said when he was admonishing the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, the 23rd verse, he said that you're doing certain things like paying tithes of cumin, mint, and anise, all these things you're doing, but what you've done is you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, mm-hmm. judgment, mercy, and faith. These have you ought to done and not leave the others undone. So Christ put a hierarchy on the things that we need to focus and concentrate on. Now, when we deal with issues concerning judgment, mercy, and faith, that only can be when we're dealing with one another. More specifically, a man and a wife, they have to understand that they have to deal with issues when they come up. That's the judgment. But then we have to be able to forgive one another, like the scripture in Colossians 3, the brother pulled, if we have quarrels with one another, like Christ forgave us. That's the mercy. And now the faith comes in that knowing that when we apply those things, that we're going to have, what, great success. That's the key. Okay. Well, let me, let me just uh, throw something out. First of all, before I, before I throw this out, I, I don't want to ignore the visitor, so let me go ahead and invite the visitor in. Visitor, you have telephone number 404-916. Please go ahead and give us your name and your comment or question, please. Hey, how's everybody? This is Cliff. How y'all doing? Good. Cool. Oh, sorry. Good. All right. Um, I want to speak as a and uh, formerly married man and uh, bring out a couple of scriptures, if you will, to just um, to go along with the points um, that the brothers and sisters were making. Um, I wanted to go to John uh, 34 and speaking about how we um, we should deal. And John 13 and 34. I'm sorry. John 13 and 34 says. Um, these are the words of Christ, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, when we keep, when we are keeping in mind that commandment, and we're dealing um, in relationship, whether it be, you know, uh, at work, or brothers, or brothers and sisters, sisters and sisters, that love is gonna, gonna supersede how we, um, are going to actually deal with one another. And the reason why I prefaced um, speaking as being a formerly married man is it's easy to fall out of that mindset of loving one another if you don't have it as a basis because you, a lot of times this society will lead you and, and you think it will lead you to go after someone for basically the lust of the flesh. 
and you know this is this is a base a basis of confession for me for some of the relationships that I've had in my life dealing with women um you know going after those things based on what I thought I wanted as opposed to like the example um that was brought out in in Tobit uh, about Tobias and seeking that which the Lord has for us and the final um scripture I wanted to bring out was dealing with um first Peter um three and we can start at um at uh verse five and it says for after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So this is the unity in submission to Christ and the example to, to, to how we should live, um, in subjection and submission to one another, to Christ, to the Heavenly Father. Okay. Well, Cliff, definitely, we appreciate that. Um, getting back to um, the point in uh, Matthew 18 about uh, if, if if your brother offends you, you tell him you'll fall alone, and if he will hear you, then you've, you know, you gain your brother. But if not, if you, in Matthew 18, if you go further, it, it talks about another step if they don't hear you. Does that step also apply to marriage? And anybody can jump in and answer or respond to that if they like. Okay. Okay. I was going to say yes, it does because you know, as we were uh, talking about, you know, uh, last night, you know, there there are always times when you know a man may be receive, is going to be receiving counsel on how to deal with certain aspects, you know, of his household. Not going into too many details, and there are always times when a woman or a sister is going to be receiving counsel on how to deal with certain aspects of a household. But granted, there with there, you know, time, a time does come where ultimately, you know, where, you know, a man and, a, and his wife may have to sit down <laughs> with an elder to some degree and be like, listen, you know, we cannot reach an agreement on this, you know. So Matthew 18 still applies whether it's dealing in a marriage or dealing between two brothers, two sisters, or a brother and a sister. That That, that marriage doesn't negate it. But the point is, is that, the Most High has basically gave us a foundation to where if both people are applying the scriptures, then it doesn't have to go to the second step, okay, outside of, in regards to marriage, outside of, you know, fornication or adultery. Because Christ said specifically right. that those are the only two ways that that marriage can be dissolved or annulled or ends, however you want to put it. Okay, other than that, listen, I gave you the example in Matthew 18 the reconciliation comes through applying the scriptures and growing in that. Okay. Um, we are getting pretty close to uh, the end of the program, and uh, so I, I kind of like to just go to our uh, special guest uh, to let them expound a little bit more about this whole uh, thing about maintaining the marriage and, and, and the aspects of the conflict, um, you know, in maintaining the marriage. 
So now that next step that's described in Matthew 18, uh, is that one of those things that, um, you know, Kukungabar that uh, you can uh, go to, you can use, utilize in order to resolve an issue in your marriage? Uh, Yeah, my wife answered the question earlier when she said that there's no difference in that. You know, there's no separation between a brother and sister, a married couple, whatever. As the brother stated, it's the scriptures. If it's come down to that, that's showing you some maybe issues with the marriage, but it still applies that the Most High gave us the way through Christ to resolve issues. And that's one of the ways we're supposed to resolve issues. You know, back you know we you know we've seen some of the examples of the understanding not being there because you know brothers would or sisters would use that as a a way to continue with wickedness by saying things like our oh, brother and sister can't come in my house this mom. Oh, when you're doing something like that, you're affecting the body. You're connected to a body. You got discord going on in your own house. How the hell is that not going to affect the rest of the body when you come around? Okay. That's why we got the scriptures to deal with. All right. Well, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, especially the Kamagabar and Ama, and to those people that were in the chat room, uh, those people that are called in, uh, we definitely do appreciate that. But above all, all praises go to the Most High and His Son Christ. So until next time, the Most High in the name of Christ. Bless you all. Shalom. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-1712. Until our next visit, The Most High in the name of Christ. Bless you. Shalom.